The following program was produced by Community Producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the Community Producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Good evening, and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and I have two guests. I have Ernestine Gallegos, family advocate, and Laura Rosie. And that's family housing here in Malden. Housing families here housing in Malden. Housing family in Malden. Uh, now, uh, you've been with them quite some time, approximately 10 years. Yeah. But they go back more th the time than that, and as a matter of fact, they had different names in the past, I think, haven't they? They've had a, a few different names. I believe the first one was Tri-City Housing Task Force, and it started out just in a small building around the corner from where we are now on Broadway uh, with a unit of three, three shelter units there and a staff of like four. And now we're housing families, and we have 100 units of emergency shelter and 80 permanent, so we've grown quite a bit. To say the least. <laughs> and um, um, you're currently your main office is where? We're at 919 Eastern Ave. 919. Just to maybe give a, a little bit of an overview that, or a caveat maybe that uh, some years ago uh, uh, the Lucy Insurance Agency was on Cross Street in Malden, and, that that, and that's the location of what used to be a credit union, which is no longer in business, and uh, we ended up with a tenant, which was family housing. Housing families. That's right, <laughs> but they didn't have that name then. Ah, okay. <laughs> and uh, interesting enough, uh, it's, uh, eventually, well, while they were there as a tenant, we the, the agency decided they wanted to make a move. And, they, and, and as a matter of fact, to kind of tie some other loose ends to together, uh, Patty Kelly was in, was at that time and connected to the organization. Mm -hmm. So as it happened, um, housing family bought our, our property. Uh, we moved to uh, Eastern Avenue. Yes. And um, when um, they finally got the property ownership, they ended up knocking the building down where we were and built what's the, with the housing part of that, that's uh -huh. there now. Uh -huh. And as time evolved, um, Patty Kelly left, and, and she went with um, Better Life. She's at Better Life now, yeah. And we moved from 54 Eastern <coughs> Avenue down to 919 Eastern Avenue, and Bread of Life moved in where we were moving out. Ah. So they're, they're still there now. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a little time further passed, and the owners of the property where we were renting relocated, and uh, the new tenants became family housing. <laughs> so we're still there. The insurance agency's there, and you're there. So it's we're a following small, you. It's a little bit of a, sm a small world and a mm. six degrees of separation. But... Basically, uh, how do you your functioning is? Uh, you, you you mentioned how much 
Uh, you're involved now with uh, rental units and owned units. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, give, could you give us a little background on how people end up helping uh, sure. you and you helping them? Mm -hmm. Um, so most of the families that we work with come in through our emergency shelter program. So if a family is going through homelessness, they can go and apply for emergency shelter through, um, through the state, and then the state will place them wherever there's an open unit. And so, like I said, we have 100 units of emergency shelter of families that are experiencing homelessness. But we also have some other programs. So we have a pro bono legal services program that came over from TRICAP when they closed and they provide free legal services to families who are at risk of eviction. Um, they serve over 650 households in the, the Malden district jurisdiction, which is a little bit broader than where we search. So that's another way that families can come in and access our services. And then we run permanent housing, so if people come in um, and get into our permanent housing programs, they can enter in that way. And we have a general homeless prevention program, so if you hit some tenancy issues while you're in your own housing and you get into trouble, get behind on rent or something, um, you can reach out to us and we can provide services that way. Now, um, in, in, your, in your programs that you have, are some of them permanent housing or is it all transitional housing? No, so we have um, 80 units of permanent housing, as long as you continue to qualify based on income. Mostly that's the way to qualify. And do people tend to stay indefinitely when they, they qualify under the ones that are permanent? You know, they do. Um, I mean, we have, uh, so getting into affordable housing in Malden is difficult, as you, as you know. Right. Um, and uh, our utilities are included. Like I said, it's based on income. It comes with services. And because our mission is to end family homelessness, we're not the type of landlord that as soon as you're behind on rent, we're going to go and push you out the door. We really try to work with the families and help them increase their um, self-sufficiency and make sure that they have what they need to be successful tenants. So we actually, we don't see a lot of turnover in our permanent housing program. Are they all Section 8 type uh, vouchers? Um, um, Kind of. I mean, uh, they're project-based, so they're not mobile where you can move around and use it where you want, but they're all subsidized. Right. It will function similar to right. Section 8. Now, now you, um, uh, you've been there about 10 years. Mm -hmm. I saw the announcement in the newspaper about your promotion. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, in, in how did you happen to come and get affiliated with... Uh, with housing family family. housing. Housing families. Housing families. <laughs> We're going to get it right by yeah, the end uh, of this hour. Um, that's the way we get to repeat it so people remember after <laughs> the show. Uh, so I started, I, w uh, I went to law school in Boston, and when I was in law school, I knew that I wanted to do something related to social justice. And when I finished law school, there weren't a lot of jobs in the public interest world. Um, so I was really applying for, you know, basic case management jobs, anything where I could get experience working and try to work my way up. And so I, I, I landed at Housing Families. I actually was between there or there was another place in the South End in Boston that was across the street from Flower, which is my favorite bakery. And Housing Families knew that I was considering that one. And so they baked me chocolate chip cookies and they won me over. And I've been there ever since. Oh. <laughs> chocolate chip cookies go a long way with me. <laughs> well, they were good. Are you still living there still? I, what's that? In South Boston? Are you still living in South Boston? No, I don't live there. That's where the other job was oh, that I, I was see. thinking oh, about okay. taking at the time. Oh, I see. Okay. Because yeah. otherwise I thought you might bring some breakery things here tonight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, in, in, 
abuse situations, are, are those uh, somewhat of the profile maybe of some of the people that you come in contact with, the homeless people? Um, so I think as in much of the population, we, d we see a fair amount of domestic violence. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that's the primary cause of people coming to us, but you do you see a fair amount of domestic um, of domestic violence in our world. Yes, yeah. the the um, the people. How do they get in touch with you? Do you uh, how how would someone know how to uh, contact you if they were in need? If they fit one of those situations mm -hmm. that you deal with. You said homeless. Now, are those people sometimes evicted from units, and they're yep. they're in shelters. Mm -hmm. So, Google goes a long way. A lot of people, I think, Google us. But uh, like I said, most of the time, if they're having housing instability and they they don't have a home to stay in anymore, and they go and apply for emergency shelter, they'll they'll end up uh, getting placed with us through the state. So we can't just take someone off, because a lot of people do Google us, and then they'll show up in the office, and we can't just take walk-ins, um, but most of the people get placed through uh, DHCD. Yeah. Do you find, uh, in, in some instances, the, the, the clients you, you end up trying to help uh, are dealing with issues other than homelessness, that mean sometimes maybe they uh, mental issues, maybe drug issues, maybe some other family issues that did. So it's really not just like a simplistic solution to somebody coming by and needing mm -hmm. needing an apartment. Yeah, uh, homelessness is complex. It's really tied to poverty, and uh, I'm glad Ernestine is here because part of the work that Ernestine and I do together is just educating people on the different paths and all the complexities that go around homelessness because a lot of it is so tied to just poverty in general and more the wages not keeping up with the cost of housing and the cost of living and you know you hit a medical issue or something sets you back and you don't have savings things can just unravel and spiral down but we see we see um, a lot of mental health. I mean, it's a traumatic experience, so you see a lot of uh, mental health issues going on with families, and um, substance abuse is everywhere, of course. So, you know, we deal with a lot of uh, complex issues that families are facing. There, are, there have been occasions, and it seems to go in cycles. The state, and in, in, in because you alluded to it there, the, the shortage of, of, of available housing. And so they go, they make arrangements with motels, and the state then goes through a period of time where they have people that um, have homeless that that need housing, and they put them in motels. And obviously, mm -hmm. that's really not a, a, the ideal arrangement, but mm -hmm. that's sometimes Plan B. And then the state turns around and they say, "Well, that's not the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. Let's vacate that process." And so they do, and then. Time pro progresses, and they turn around the next thing you know, because there have been some motels in this area yeah. that have been uh, sites for uh, the homeless people. And, of course, in a lot of ways, they don't get a lot of support while they're there because they're isolated. Uh, literally, they're separated out on a, on a highway sometimes, and uh, sometimes they they're obviously have young children who have to go to school, and then you, you get the problem of uh, commuting uh, on buses and whatever. Yeah. I think the state just stopped doing that again because there was, I know, uh, there was one site here on Route yeah. 1 mm -hmm. that they, uh, the people, the people, the owners did it, then they changed owners and the, and they stopped it. But is, is, is that still an option the state uses? 
So I don't envy the state for the task that they have to manage because uh, enter if you qualify for shelter, the state has to place you somewhere. And so there's only a fixed number of shelter units in the system that are actual apartments. And it's hard because we have scattered site units for uh, for shelter that but it's eating up housing stock too so if all of those units are full then the state because they have to place you somewhere they'll end up placing families in motels and it was just like four years ago we had almost four thousand or more families in the motels alone mm -hmm. and the, the system holds about 36 to four thousand 3600 to four thousand families so um Baker actually that was one of his things when he came into office he wanted to empty he's, he's out the motels. Governor Baker. Yeah, he right. To eliminate that yeah. process. Yeah. And so there was a big push to um to grow the the shelter system to get the families out of the motels but what what ends up ha and it's good that's a good thing but what ends up happening is then so those providers like housing families will go out and find cheaper units and will rent them and will put families into those units but that the that's eating up more of the housing stock so we're kind of in this like cyclical yeah. force here it's it's good and um and it's just eating up housing stock well would you have a, a waiting list of people that you you, you that are looking for housing that you don't have sites to place them in in which case at some point they either get out of the motels or they some other source comes up to surfaces mm -hmm. allows them to be placed somewhere else um so we don't have a wait list for our emergency shelter program there's a wait list for our permanent housing yeah, program okay. and those wait lists are years long how long years mm -hmm. uh, eight to ten years is the average for subsidized housing eight ten years what do they do in the meantime yeah <laughs> um, they stay where they are? They stay where they are. They bounce around, live with family. Um, what are their options? Couch surf, mm -hmm. stay in emergency rooms at hospitals. Um, at different cl clinics, they're able to, you know, stay under that roof uh, until they're thrown out. Yeah. Are the only people from permanent housing you deal with are under your jurisdiction in terms of the pr that where they're placed? No, so we have a couple of different permanent housing programs, but uh, most of our permanent housing families have to apply to the Malden Housing Authority, and they'll maintain that wait list for us. And then when we have an opening come, Malden will uh, pull the top however many families and send them over to us to be screened. Yeah. So now all of your um, housing sites that you you have uh, super supervised control over are you. Are they all in Malden, or are they, are they more, more, more than one community? No, we um, we serve Malden, Medford, Everett, Chelsea, and Revere. So right. we have housing scattered around those five right. communities. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if you know the answer or not, but would you uh, kind of guess how many f families separate from whom, you, whom you're dealing with, but in that area that are, all, are by definition would be eligible for your program if you had more space? Um, for our permanent housing program? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I should know this because <laughs> so you can look at it by um, by the income levels within the city and Ma there would be a, a substantial amount of residents in Malden that would qualify based on income alone for our subsidized permanent housing 
Um, there's a good portion within all of the cities that we serve of people, because Malden just did their housing needs assessment, right? So they're looking at what are the different income levels and that people are at to determine what kind of housing is appropriate. And when you look at the income levels, there's a there's a good amount of renters here and a good amount of people that um, I don't remember if it's 80% AMI or what our what our income limits are, but um, there's a good number of families here that would qualify for our housing if it were accessible or available. Uh, um, I guess I'm trying to focus on my own mind. People that come to your agency, um, are they almost always homeless? That's why they're coming to see you? Yes, the, mo the majority of the families that land in housing families come through our emergency shelter system, and that's when you're actually going through homelessness, and that's how we usually start working with families, because we can serve 100 homeless families at any given point in time. But then we have different other programs. Okay, but um, but those hundred that you refer to that you service, they're in um, individual uh, units of mm -hmm. their own, mm -hmm. separate from nothing to do with the the, the people who are in motels or anything. Right. They're not really part of what you you deal with. Is it? The motels. Yeah. No. No. Okay. No, we yeah. don't provide services to the families yeah. in motels. Yeah. yeah. And. Um, and obviously in your situation, you don't have to be from Malden because you, you service about a half a dozen communities in total. Right, and it just depends on the state. Again, anyone from anywhere in the state on any given day, they go and they apply, they qualify, and wherever there's an opening, that's where they have yeah. to go. But, but a lot of the people that you're dealing with and, and, you, and you are able to place in your housing, they, they're coming in homeless. Mm -hmm. That's that basically what it happens, isn't it? Yes, the majority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, who would come in that isn't homeless? So, uh, so then you start looking at permanent housing instead, and yeah. um, people that have been on the wait list for a very long time. Uh, there's a preference given to families who are homeless, or and there's preferences that are given to Malden uh families so if you've been there and if you've been on that list long enough and your name gets sent over to us to be screened and you get approved um you don't necessarily have to be homeless to get into our permanent some of our permanent housing yeah. programs yeah. but uh, now was all your all your permanent housing in malden no it's scattered throughout malden medford everett chelsea and oh, I, okay and um you you mentioned screening w w what happens on that interview process are there people that do you want to talk about that since you've uh, lived it? Yeah, I can speak on the behalf of the screening process. So the, the majority and the basics of the screening process is to review uh, what your situation is, why you have become homeless or you're under eviction to become homeless, um, how many children or heads you have in the household, and what your family income is. Um, and generally, to qualify you basically have to be destitute and at a, at a very low income level to qualify for emergency uh, housing shelter assistance um, or even um, Section 8 or permanent housing assistance. So being low income um, basically does automatically qualify you because you do not have um, the financial monthly means um, to cover a market, rent, uh, market unit um, to rent. Um, so that's the process that's that's kind of broken down to and the will basics. Call all your old landlords, yeah. make and sure then, you were a good tenant. Exactly, and then the whole process of housing you is also um, doing the background checks and the referrals.
from you know your your prior landlords and uh, living situations. So it 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 is it is a a story, and there are multiple steps that you have to go through um, to qualify. But once you are qualified, then you can pretty much be assured that um, housing families will do what they can to help um, shelter you, even if it's temporarily, until you can uh, get back on your feet uh, and get uh, either affordable housing or be able to afford market rent. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, uh, I was thinking even people that, that have reasonably good employment uh, in this day and age for housing, it's the, 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 uh, the cost is, is so high that, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, they have rules of thumb. Uh, you, you know, your, your rent shouldn't be more than, let's say, 30% of your, your income. And yes. I don't know if that's gross or net. But anyway, that's a lot if, you, if, you, if people are dealing with uh, paying for car insurance and living in, in uh, with the normal kinds of things you, that you re- relate with, uh, Particularly if you have children that go to school and clothes and on and on. As a matter of fact, I, I don't think you people were involved, but there was a very recently up on pa- uh, Park Street, mm. which is where the library is, and there's someone locally who's bought up a lot of property, mm-hmm. bought an apartment complex, uh, an old a, a building that was, uh, I, I, and I've been in that area because I park on that street when I go in the library and. I don't even think there's any. It was built before they required to have parking spaces for cars. But I think a lot of the profile of the people living there would be older people, fixed income. Mm-hmm. In a lot of instances, I would think there'd probably be single people living in small apartments. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he did, which on paper is illegal, is that he jacked the rents up because the, whoever owned it before rolled along with the, the tenants, and apparently whatever he was charging was, by definition today, I guess, under market rate. New owner came in. They had a picture in the local paper about a, uh, uh, some pickets that were in front of the building as a protest. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways that he could have handled it differently if he were more sensitive to the needs of the people that were there. And at the same time, he could accomplish what he intended to do was to make money on the property. And um, it ended up, apparently he has a... A, form, a formality of, of, of the people. There's new, there's new sheriff in town, and uh, you're mm-hmm. in effective 30 days, which is going to be a, a big number, and it's going to be a big jump. And I, th- I think some of the people are, uh, were already moving out at that point. And of course, maybe in the owners, the new owners' case, he could care less in one way because I mean, maybe the waiting list of people coming in is very convenient. There's, there's, um, if you didn't have a car, it's even better because you can walk down the street to the bus stop. The library is there. You're near Marlin Square and whatever, but anyway, um, the typical monthly rent um, I, I would think it right now is for a two-bedroom apartment is over two thousand yeah. dollars a month without utilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know you, the the people that you're dealing with probably are in no position to come close to that, and mm-hmm. the, so obviously they have to depend on some sort of a subsidy program to even get a, get an apartment somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can definitely speak that on behalf of, of what you just mentioned, and there are cliff effects that happen to families when market units uh, rates, rental rates go up and up and up for low-income families. You know, not only does it make it become a burden to them financially, but there are the cliff effects that go along with them becoming homeless, and as well staying homeless um, once they are in, in a shelter situation. Um, because of the financial gap and the financial need. 
Um, so that, that does make a, a big difference for families trying to keep up with the cost of living and the market rate. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it would apply with, with your organization, but I happen to have a, a, a personal knowledge of a situation that someone had a, um, been renting in a complex for four, about 40 years. Mm. And um, had, was married, had uh, two children, mm-hmm. and literally they, they grew up to adulthood in that complex and then for a number of uh, personal reasons, some of which were personal issues that they, they ended up having, the husband got sick, he passed away, she had some personal issues with herself. She didn't end up, she got evicted for, no, meantime there were a couple of changes of owners, she ended up getting evicted for non-payment of rent. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that surprised me to find out, I, and I don't know if that would apply in your case, when she applied for housing at the housing authority, one of the requisites was that she had to even be eligible. She had to uh, make arrangements to pay for the rent that she didn't pay uh, mm-hmm. or that she owed when she got evicted. Is that part of the requirement? It seems kind so, of a tough reach because yeah. of the, yeah. Um, I would say in my experience uh, over the past 10 years, different housing authorities will manage that differently. Yeah. And some might be really strict and say you have to pay this money back or you have to be on a payment plan others might look at the bigger picture and understand like what happened and take into account okay someone passed away you lost income um part of it also might depend on um sometimes if you owe another housing authority money another housing authority you have to get that debt clear so if the family's coming from you know, a different subsidized program, that could have a different impact. But if it's general market rent and there's situations that are contributing to you not being able to afford your rent, um, you know, I think some of the housing authorities might manage that differently. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, which I thought it was rather odd situation because here you get um, someone had a long track record of being a good tenant and all of a sudden mm-hmm. at the end uh, because of issues that some of she created herself and still was that... Uh, that should count it for a lot. I was surprised, and as it turned out, she didn't get housing anyway. Mm. <laughs> oh gee, that's no, that's just, you know, was, but then she also didn't pay the rest of the rent. I don't think, but that's another whole story. But anyway, um, so uh, are some of the people in your in your program are they are they Section Eight uh, qualified people? Yeah, so uh, some a lot of the families that we work with while they're going through homelessness, they will end up moving out of shelter because they get a Section 8 voucher and they can use it anywhere in anywhere in the states actually. Um, but if they, if they if you provide shelter uh, an apartment for them, um, they could stay there under the under the the certificate that they have or the voucher. We uh, no, uh, so vouchers get used in regular market rate apartments yeah. and housing families doesn't own market rate units we only own subsidized housing and you can't put a subsidy a section 8 subsidy on top of another subsidy so if our families get a section 8 voucher they're going to go find joe the landlord oh, or okay. someone else who doesn't have subsidized someone housing who will accept their section 8 voucher right 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 mm-hmm. yeah yeah um your um your experience uh, sometimes the people are coming to you with problems you know that's the reason they are in the situation they're in 
when you take them in, do you sometimes find that they don't adhere to the rules that you provide? There must happen to some instances that well, yeah. you can't keep them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just speaking as a parent, you know, you have to suddenly live within this system of pretty strict rules and you know there's curfews in place and you have working parents that are trying to you know get to south boston and they have to be in curfew in housing back in time for curfew or you have to do your chores so um it can be onerous for families to have Mm -hmm. to adapt to some of the rules that they have i don't know if you had Besides keeping in mind, like, uh, the situation with myself and my son, and I know that I'm aware aware of some of the other families that were also um, in shelter housing uh, in the same area that we were here in Malden, um, you've got to keep in mind that you're also being confined to very small quarters. Mm -hmm. So uh, my teenage son and I were in a um, one-bedroom shelter unit for just for just a little over yes and um he basically stayed in the living the living room kitchenette area and then i stayed in a little small bedroom that you know kept a little uh uh full size uh not even a full a twin size bed um and it's tough it's really tough sharing small quarters like that that's really just applicable really for one person to be comfortable you know any more than one person it's tough and so um, I'm speaking on behalf of myself and my son that it was tough but then there's families that have multiple children or you know or even in or even couples that have two or three children and here they're sharing you know a very small one bedroom possibly possibly in very rare case a small two-bedroom apartment if it's multiple children Um, but that's only because of the guidelines that they're able to to get that extra space even though it still is minimal so I think one of the saddest rules that but also happy when you see families move out um, there's no sleepovers so you know kids uh, younger kids they want to have their kids their friends sleep over for birthday parties and you can't do that we have there's one family I remember the kids like when you talk to them about why they're so happy to be living in their own new apartment and how excited they are for their birthday party they're going to have like a sleepover with all their friends so there are rules in shelter and they can be tough for families to stick to Mm -hmm. I mean I think they're there for a reason you're trying to keep a bunch of Mm -hmm. families safe but um but it's hard. Yeah. Do you um, do you have volunteers that are affiliated with your organization? Yes, we oh, do. Yes. Many. I'm one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm on the board and on the committee, and I'm also um, honored to serve on. Uh, You're on Homes for Families Homes board. Homes for Families board uh, committee. Or I'm a board member with um, Family Laura. Homes. Oh, no. <laughs> different, it's a different yes. organization <laughs> that we're. They're they're located out of uh, Beacon Hill in Boston. Yeah. And so we both serve on that board there, um, and uh, as well serve on a couple of subcommittees from that board um, to stay involved and to help push um, through legislation any of the guidelines and the regulations that need to be um, uh, fixed or. Um, tweaked in order to benefit not just the families in need and the shelter system but as well as the financial capacity that what the state and the government can can offer so it it, it helps 
to volunteer for housing family so I have to put my plug in or my director of development would not be happy with me we take uh, volunteers so one of the programs that I didn't mention earlier uh, we have a great youth and families program and it's a unique uh, it's kind of like an after-school program um, where there is on-site counseling available for children with the academic tutoring so we talked about before there's there's a lot of trauma that kids go through and that can manifest in different ways when you're in the school setting and so sometimes just having that counseling to deal with these uh, behaviors f that are stemming from the trauma um, and doing that right on site where you're getting the tutoring it's it's been really helpful for a lot of the families and that that program runs mostly on volunteers alone but we so we always need volunteers for that although we need consistent volunteers people that can come regularly because developing the trust and the relationship is important um, but then we always are using volunteers for some of the administrative work that we might need done around the office and the development team is just always looking to engage volunteers in different ways so if people are interested this is my plug should I should I give our phone number Please do, do, I do, do it. Do okay. the email or website. Of, All right. So our number is 781-322-9119. Um, and you can ask for Rayanne Whalen. <laughs> That's our development director. What's your last name? Whalen. Okay. Um, and she will find the best fit for you. And our website is www.housingfamilies.org. Now, the 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 what would the profile be of someone that wanted to volunteer? How would they uh, fit what you need from with with the with their interest in being involved? Yeah, it depends. I mean, we have such a huge range of people that volunteer. We have kids that are in school and have to do volunteer projects. They might help clean up some of our spaces that need to be organized, or they might do some drives for us. Um, like I said, we have if you. You know, if you're good with kids and you're a patient, we can you can do tutoring for children. We need a lot of tutors. Um, sometimes we just have events where we need people to help out. So there's, you know, we really try to listen to you. What is it that you're looking for in the experience? And what do we have that might be a good fit for you so that it's a good experience for everyone all around? Mm -hmm. Now, um, um, I, I, most of all, all your adults, adults? Uh, excuse me, I mean, all your volunteers. That sounds like a, a bad Okay. Yeah, they're all adults. They're all adults. You think they are. They think they are, but they're not. No. Are all the volunteers adults? No. No. Is that was that your question? Yes. yes. Uh, no, like I said, we have some that are children. We have a lot, Malden Catholics and some teens. Oh, gee, where did you jump the gun? I was just going to say, oh, I, yeah. I, Malden Catholic. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, the, they they have been uh, great supporters of ours. Yeah. And, yeah, we have uh, teenagers often coming. We have a team of team builders as well. Um, our network and our group is pretty large. We tend to collaborate very well, um, even with um, Homes for Families out of Boston um, and Housing Families. There's a lot of collaboration and networking that goes on to help shape the system. Yeah, because when you, as as you were talking before, you you I thought I'd give you a big lead, a big hot prospect for a lead. But I was thinking of Malden Catholic as as uh, as a as a school that is part of the graduating group uh, for the seniors at least. They make themselves available to do do to do city pro and civic projects, right, and, right, and other yeah. things like that. Mm -hmm. And and I think also at Malden High, they have uh, within the school itself there are perhaps clubs or groups within the, the graduating mm -hmm. class or the, even the undergraduate who volunteer time and as part of a, 
service project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, and we have good, even like Tufts University, so um, when we have, like for example, meetings in the evening for families, you know, as a mom, you got to do something with your kids. And so a lot of times we'll have childcare provided and we'll have college age kids that are there and doing activities with the kids while the parents can focus on the meeting. We've had people cook meals for us because the way you get families to meetings is you have childcare and you have food and transportation. Uh, But we've had people cook meals for us for our meetings. And Mm. so there's a lot of different ways that people can get involved. Uh, are you coordinated with Bread of Life to any extent? Because they have those uh, those meal sites that they have make mm-hmm. available. So. Yeah, we refer a lot of our families over there for, yeah. uh, especially Thanksgiving time. They do such great work over there. They do, Life, right. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. I didn't know that. Well, I'd like to add that um, for myself getting involved, um, it's really a mixed blessing for me. Um, becoming homeless because for many years while I worked in Boston as a Section 8 coordinator in affordable housing um, and low-income housing, um, I did see the dire need for communities uh, and low-income families that do need affordable housing and affordable housing right away, not being on a wait list for five or ten years, but as quick as possible. Um, Otherwise, they are couch surfing or bundling up with other families in order to have a roof over their heads and survive. Um, My mixed blessing, I say, is that for many years while I was doing that Section 8 housing and I saw that, that dire need, I always used to say, one day I want to get involved with an advocacy group to help shape our policies and our programs because I see where... As, as a Section 8 coordinator, I could see where the gaps were. Um, and again, it, it's been probably um, a little over six years that I haven't been working in, uh, as a Section 8 coordinator in affordable housing. But doing that for so many years, I always said I wanted to get involved with the group, wanted to get involved with some nonprofit. It never happened until it hit my doorstep, until it, it hit my feet that I was becoming homeless with my son. And then... It, that's what pushed me to get involved with housing families um, is becoming homeless and ending up in that on that road and on that journey um, and being in the, on that journey I met Lara um, and I'm very grateful to say that along with her guidance and the guidance of um, housing families I was able to uh, move forward get back on my feet after um, uh, my divorce my uh, husband passed away. My health failed um, drastically. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I was no longer able to work. Um, again, my husband passed away after our divorce, so I didn't have that income to help. Um, my son was still um, in middle school at the time, just barely getting ready to enter high school. Um, and so being on on that threshold of being unstable and getting um, shelter housing, um, emergency shelter housing, as that that's what was able, and, and then my, my disability being approved was what was able to help me get back on my feet. Um, then, thank God, also through Housing Families and all of their um, support, um, I was awarded a Section 8 voucher. Once I was awarded that Section 8 voucher, within a few months, I was able to find permanent housing um, in Boston. And I'm grateful to say that it's been three years now 
that I've had my permanent housing with Section 8, and I have been on the advocacy group. And your son, does he, does he have sleepovers? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, he just graduated um, high school now in uh, June. Um, he graduated out of Boston Arts Academy with honors. Um, Jacob. Yes, um, Jacob. I'm very proud of him. Um, and it was it was also tough for him too. He, you know, he has his story behind this whole process that that he that he has to live with and also help him to grow and become you know a better young man and a better individual for for our society. Um, but I am very thankful to and and I love I mean I love the fact that I can be part of a group or a number of groups that is helping to shape to shape our housing stock for for low income families. I'm glad that you brought up your son. So, and I'll go back to our volunteer thing. So, every year at the holidays, we're coming upon the holidays right now, and um, this year we're really focusing. So, teens that are going through it, you can imagine the experience of going through homelessness as a teen is mm-hmm. particularly challenging because mm-hmm. they're more aware of what's happening, more they can be more embarrassed and. Um, so we used to every year, a lot of the ways that the community gets involved is by donating at the holiday time. We would collect a bunch of toys for kids. And um, this year we're trying to make some changes and really shift the focus on the teens because we have plenty of toys for you know young kids. Everyone wants to donate to toys for tots, but we're always short for teenage gifts at the holiday season. So I will start my plug early and let let people know this year we're really trying to focus on getting gift cards for the teens or like the bigger, I don't know, is it Xbox or whatever those Nintendo games are uh, because they're just, I don't know, we forget as a society about teens at the holidays. Like it's Mm -hmm. all the toys for tots. It's all the little kids and uh, Mm -hmm. gifts for them. And really this year wanting to focus on um, making it a special time for the teens too. So that's my holiday plug. With with all your programs and with all the uh, um, things you're dealing with, where, where does your funding come from? The majority of our funding comes from the state to run our emergency shelter program. And then, uh, so that's about six million and a half of our $8 million budget. And then the rest is from uh, private donors, foundations, and grants. And um, do, do you that. have grants? Uh, you solicit one of your staff people who maybe writes grant requests? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You, you, you mentioned it's an $8 million budget. budget. And do you recall how much your budget was when you first started uh, 10 years ago? Well, I wouldn't have been paying attention to (laughs) those (laughs) types of details, but um, I do know that our budget has since, because we, so what happened is we doubled our shelter program. Remember, we were talking about the motels, and so the state asked people to build out their shelter program, and um, so I want to say we were probably at four to five million, and then when we had to, we added on fifty more shelter units, and our contract money for that went up. So I would guess that we would have been around a four point five million dollar organization ten years ago. The um, the situation uh, you, there are good stories to talk about, you know, and the people that come in, into your uh, circle, so to speak. But then, of course, sometimes the people are in those situations because. They've had personal problems they're dealing with in life, and they carry that with them when they go to the next next spot. Now, 
you have situations. What happens if someone fails in your system? They they don't follow the rules. You have to mm -hmm. make a decision about they'd have to leave. Yeah, they I go back to the homeless shelters? Well, no, because they won't qualify. So we really try to work with families as long as we can because once they get terminated from shelter, it's a, it's a really detrimental consequence because they yeah. won't qualify to come back in. I think it's two years that you won't qualify I'm for assistance. Sure. It's either a year or two years. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's two. I think it's something like 18 months to 24 months, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. I mean, we all have personal problems and challenges and different levels of skill to manage that and different levels of support, quite frankly, because, you know, some of us hit a problem and we have family that we can go to for help. And some of us just have to scrap by and do the best that we can. And we people make decisions that we don't understand. Yeah. Um, so we really try to build that relationship with the families and avoid that at all costs. But. Yeah. You, in some of your uh, sites where the people live that come into your program, uh, it, it, it could be, a, 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 say, a, a larger house where you have several families living within the house. So, yeah, we uh, a couple of the properties that we own, they are houses with, like, condos, kind of. I mean, apartments carved out within yeah. it. So there's nobody is sharing a kitchen. They're not sharing bathroom space. Everyone has their own well, they do. living space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was thinking of one site I think is under your supervision. I'm not going to name it, but... Um, um, and I kind of thought that was maybe like it was a group housing thing, but apparently would not be. Yeah, no, we don't do okay. that. Okay, mm -hmm. I see. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know in the fall you mentioned about the, the holidays for gift cards and all, but don't don't you have also uh, 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 people give like school school packs? Yeah, when school starts, we do a backpack drive. That's yeah. that's over now. We've distributed all of our backpacks, but that's right. another way yeah. that people yeah. get connected yeah. to. Yeah. Your private sources of funding, separate from the state, are they corporate or, or more than individual? We're building out our corporate uh, donor base now. Um, we This is the first year that we've really had a development director, and I think we've had a couple that didn't last for a very long time in the 10 years that I've been here. So um, I mentioned Rayanne before, and she's fantastic, and she's starting with some of our board members to really build out that corporate sponsorship. Uh, but historically, we've not done as good of a job as we needed to in terms of building those relationships out. We've really been grant heavy, and this um, EA con the shelter contract. Do, do, the, do, the, do the communities that you service do this? Do they fund you at all? Whether it's in Malden, yeah. yeah. So we get funding through Malden, uh, Everett, and Medford. We get CDBG money, which is federal funds that right. come through the city. Yeah. Malden just increased our our cities. We're lucky. We have. Um, we have a really supportive delegation in terms of at the state level and at the municipal level. We've gotten great support from uh, Mayor Christensen's office. They're yeah, fantastic yeah. to us. Yeah. Sometimes organizations that are um, even as large as yours are really not well known in the community. And there's, there's a lack of, I think, of understanding of what you really do sometimes. And the result is that there are sources out there that may be... Uh, interest in, in financially or volunteering or individual volunteer if they knew about you but uh, and sometimes you're below the ra radar so to speak and and uh, the other thing is that uh, are you saying that we are below the radar well do we uh, have to do more to get out there well I think <laughs> it, that that's part of, even even organizations that are uh, in theory have a higher visibility sometimes uh, like 
That's M-A-T-V. good feedback. Now, now this, I think, in some ways, um, if you if you did some interviews on the street, people would have no idea what MATB really does on a, on a typical kind of day. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet, if you if you pay attention to the programming, they, the Marlin is a very diverse community, and you have church groups that come that do programming. You have uh, a, a Chinese cultural programs that mm-hmm. are on uh, ethnic groups of different from different parts of the world and uh, a, a lot other kinds of programming. But I, I think in 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 uh, a lot of instances, the people just don't connect up the programs and the, and the groups. And I think maybe and no, no reflection on the people that are running the program. No, no, like, no, uh, no, no. But it's this just is good that, to know. Uh, mm-hmm. um, number one, you know, the even the even sometimes um, the way p- uh, the reaction is that, for instance, if you had uh, had housing in, in which is in a residential neighborhood. Uh, it wouldn't be s- unusual to have people who would not want you in the neighborhood, but only because of they have their perception of what you represent and what you do isn't really what, what the way life works. But in their mind, they don't want change, and you represent change. And I, I don't know if that's happened in the past with you and uh, your group when you you, you, you created housing and you find out that some people that lived in the, pe- in the area don't want you there. You know, as far as I know, because uh, I was around when we bought um, a couple of these properties, and... Uh, I don't remember that being a big issue. I mean, part of it is, is, and this is just in terms of affordable housing in general, you're seeing a shift that, you know, it used to be the projects and it'd be a big cinder block building, but um, there's really been an effort to make sure that they're, the housing is blending in with the community, that it looks nice. A lot of times, you know, you have to go in with money and rehab it to get it up to code at all the new code. So, um, I think when we moved in and bought some of these places, they became nicer. Um, so I, I don't remember there, and I could be wrong because I wasn't in it uh, deeply back then, but I don't remember there being a lot of protest about our housing specifically. Well, there was one. Now that you mentioned it, uh, we have the, the, the property on Cross Street is now where yeah. you have the housing. It backs up obviously to another street, and yeah. there was uh, it was one one uh, person I can recall uh, very aggressive and vocal about your coming. This was when we were still there, and we were in the process of turning ownership over. And they ended up having um, a meeting in Suffolk Manor, which is the elderly site right, that's yep. right around the corner. They had the neighbors come in, and um, it ended up. At least that one person I think was extremely vocal even then, and I, I had a couple of conversations with because I knew him before the uh, the transaction was being consummated, and uh, I tried to explain to him with you know he, why he would be so adamant about it, and uh, well he's since gone, but I I think if you went to uh, the neighbors on on the street behind you, they have no idea what goes on in your, your property. I mean there's. I don't, I don't think you make the police logs, and I don't think you have to. <laughs> Although, you know, s- sometimes in housing, um, uh, situ- particularly if you're dealing with people who have had uh, s- stressful personal situations or, or uh, interaction with, with let's say, a, a social relationship with a, between two people, that uh, sometimes there's a stalking possibility. There's other things that uh, can happen. And I, I don't know um, whether you try to keep a low profile where you where you your properties are located because you're not looking to to have a lot of people be aware of what what goes on in your own property. You're responsible for what goes on, and hopefully they, things go work work well. And 
the neighbors get used to you being there, and that's the end of it. You know, I don't. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that there was a protest with Cross Street. That is one of our bigger properties. Right. I think we have like 20 units there. Right. Um, so that's not surprising. I would also say that you know some voices are disproportionately loud when it comes to affordable housing coming in, and I would hope that as a community we can all do a better job of getting the positive voices out there mm -hmm. that are in support of it because. Uh, you know, you don't get hurt, and then these one-offs or couple-offs are, you know, they their voices are heard and recorded down. Um, that would be one thing. But the, the other of our units, they're houses. They're houses that we have bought that we've converted into apartments, and those ones I don't, I don't know that there was um, protests. I don't think that we're intentionally trying to be under the radar. I mean, Cross Street, we have our sign out in front. Um, some of the other ones more just out of respect for the families that are living there for running them as a shelter we might not be advertising that it's uh, housing families but mm -hmm. I don't I wouldn't say that it's an intentional um, thing uh, intentional act on our end to run under well the radar. no I, mean, I was thinking more like uh, in terms of under the radar that uh, there's a legitimate reason why because um, sometimes people come with issues when they when they become under your program and they've and the, they have, they've left a life that maybe has left them in a very mm. difficult situation. So maybe they don't want to have it a w um, be known where they're currently living because they mm -hmm. have these issues they're dealing with from the, their former life, so mm -hmm. to speak. And so there'd be reasons why you wouldn't want to be mm -hmm. making a lot of uh, uh, public announcements about mm -hmm. your sites. And obviously, you, you can't satisfy all the people that need your services. And mm -hmm. therefore, it's, it's, as you mentioned, it takes some time takes a long time to even be eligible. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really unfortunate that there is a bad stigma attached to low-income families and affordable housing. Um, and I think it, it a lot of that does have to do with um, the media and what's portrayed and what's given and also the different television networks that um, shine a light on, on homeless families in a negative manner or in a negative way, um, it really it really is just just a stereotype. That's exactly what it is, and it it's unfortunate that there is that stigma that's attached um, to the programs. Well, you can see just just uh, if you just take the Malden area, and it's true, which we refer to Medford or ever uh, uh, is Melrose part of your area that you, you cover? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, through pro bono, uh, and we have some, we have a, we have a couple of shelter units there. Yeah, oh. that uh, someone loses a job, like you say, there's illness in the family, you know, and, and all of a sudden, what used to be a, what appeared to be a, a family uh, group that seemed to be able to do the kinds of things expected, uh, you're paying twenty two thousand dollars a month rent, and you know, all of a sudden you don't have a job. I mean, uh, it's pretty mm -hmm. difficult, even at, under the best of circumstances. Mm -hmm. To survive very long. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly, and that was exactly like my case. As as I mentioned, um, I went through a divorce, and at the same time, my health uh, failed drastically to the point where I couldn't even work. Um, uh, I, I wasn't on the medication I needed to be on. Uh, I wasn't getting the resources, also health wise, that I needed, and being also part of um, the shelter family in, in, in shelter with housing families, they also as well helped me get back on my feet when it came to being stable um, mentally, physically, um, and getting you know my, my doctor's needs met accordingly. 
uh, and my social security met accordingly as well. Well, the good news on the outside, you look good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Now, what what plans have you got in the future that that uh, that maybe on in the embryonic stage, but you, there's an expansion of services that you might be doing that's beyond what you're doing now? Yeah, so right now um, the shelter system is going through a procurement with the state, and I think you'll be seeing a lot more um, – shelter and housing focused teams coming on you know, we have an awesome pro bono pro bono program and i think prevention is key to everything in life i think and it applies to housing as well and so the earlier on that you can catch families that are struggling um and the program that does that for us is pro bono our legal mm -hmm. services and so you know we have two attorneys that are serving 650 plus households each year and uh, we we've been in and out of Chelsea depending on the funding that's available but you know you see these communities that are getting gentrified people are getting pushed out and there is going to be a there is already a huge need for legal protection for these families and so that's to me it's all about prevention and building out that prevention whether it's pro bono legal services more case management support um, I think you'll be seeing more growth from housing families on that end now maybe we might just want to mention one more time, your phone number. So if anybody is interested sure. in getting involved as a volunteer, or they may have other ideas that may be helping other ways that I that we haven't mm -hmm. talked about, let's give oh, them the phone number. I will I'll put a plug in. If you're a landlord out there that wants to work with housing families, we're always in need of more units. Um, so 781-322-9119. Um, and www.housingfamilies.org. That's housing family, not family housing. Not family housing, housing families. Yeah. You're going to get everyone confused. Yeah, yeah no, I know. I'm sorry to say that. Right, I should have done that. No, though, that's, that's okay because it took me a year to also get that right. I kept doing it backwards for yeah, a whole yeah. year. Well, we don't want even, to do it today, so we'll do it one more time. And I won't say, I any, I won't say anything. <laughs> housing families, www.housingfamilies.org. Well, anyway, and um, now uh, I'm trying to think of... Um, with the, the Christmas is coming up. Do you do you do you don't do a, a, a Thanksgiving kind of thing? Do you? Do, we don't do a Thanksgiving. A I mean, Bread of Life, Life has, and there's other places that do that. It's a lot to coordinate. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, we'll have a holiday party for the families, and that's a nice time. Any family mm -hmm. that's worked with us is invited to come, and we have that over at the Irish American. Um, and then, like I said, we'll do a drive, but really this year, not wanting to collect toys, really wanting to focus on some teen gifts and the gift cards and um, things like that. Uh, do you have entertainment at your Christmas party other than Santa Claus? We do have a Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Claus. We have, we, and this is another way people have volunteered. So we have um, a woman that has come in and she like collects little knickknacks or things and she'll have Monopoly money. And so everyone gets a certain amount of Monopoly dollars and they can go down her her table and buy some things. We have crafts, um, pizza, cookies. Music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's and fun. I'll just emphasize one more time. 781-322-9119 is the phone Very number. Very good. And uh, in any event, uh, the hour's gone, and we hope that you'll take the time to, when well, you hear the show, maybe you come up with an idea to help them or volunteer sometime. 
Or write a check. Or write a check. We love checks. And we love checks and we love landlords. If you haven't seen the whole show, it'll be rerun again on Saturday at 7 and Sunday at 10, both times in the evening. So thank you very much for coming by. Thank you so much for having us. I've learned a lot, and I I hope your message has got out to some people that might in some way offer you some help and support, which you you can always use. The more help, the better. And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's true. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Ed, for having us and well, for plugging us in. Yeah, well, I'm delighted to have you. I'm glad you were able to make it this evening.